Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Hello and welcome to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast, episode 97, the Montreal Screwjob of podcasts. And we are coming into this off the back. New Year's, I think, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Off the back of a brilliant weekend of wrestling. We're going to be talking about Forbidden Door. We're going to be talking about the future as well with this weekend's Money in the Bank coming to London, UK, where a lot of the wrestling should be fun boys will be heading to. So let's get straight into it and introduce our three members in the booth today. We've got ourselves Josh, who's wearing a WWE title, claiming his point from last week with Callum Newman joining the United Empire. Yeah, I am indeed, regardless of what any other members of the Wrestling Should Be Fun alumni may say. I am claiming that point. He is in the United Empire. Thank you very much. (laughs) Pleasure to have you on, Josh. And nice one for wearing your shiny new title. (laughs) And next up, we've got ourselves JCH. JCH, you've had yourself a busy weekend playing all types of cricket. There's the cricket reference in straight away. Tell us about your weekend of cricket. Yeah, yeah, I went on cricket tour to Cheltenham, had some good games, some nice drinks. Just went down the oval. Lanks take five wickets in an hour. Still probably lose, but yeah. <laughs> Very good. And welcome onto the pod for the first time since his shock mastermind win. Three wins out of four. It is the Sultan. How are you doing, Sultan? I'm all good. I'm actually on a bit of a high, to be honest. Following that shock mastermind win, of course, my charity of choice is WWF. They spent all of that £100 donation sending me a letter all the way from America this week saying thank you. So it's good to know that I'm making a difference. (laughs) Signed by, what was the name of the guy on the letter, Shaf? It was like Troy Marco or something. (laughs) Troy Mako. Troy Mako definitely wrestled in the PC. (laughs) (laughs) So without any further ado, now that we know who's in the pod... Let's get on to the call-up sheet. So again, the call-up sheet. Not too many members this time around again, which I'm happy with because sometimes it takes 45 minutes and that's not good. So let's start with... Some people that have had ones previously, and we'll just read out your names. That's TK, I filmed TK, you've had yours previously. Blocking Sledge, you've had yours previously as well. But thank you very much for asking for your gimmicks, but you've already had them. And there's a shout out. So now into the main events. We've got Brown, but his name is spelt with a little B and a capital R. And he says, Clipper Nation OG, Rodbuster, Twitter's number one Shayna Baszler superstar collector. Survived Swanfest twice, Lady Gaga's favourite Alejandro. I feel he's got some sort of water-based gimmick because he likes swans and fishing. So maybe he's using the fishing rod as a weapon out of Jeff Jarrett. And then he finishes him off with after he's busted the rod with the rod buster. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. I feel like JCH is going to book him as a heel if he likes swans, though. It was, uh, it was <laughs> on my mind, but you know, I don't want to kick a bird when he's down. <laughs> Didn't Shark Boy and Team 3D have like a rod match once in TNA? <laughs> They did. I don't think anyone saw it. (laughs) I kind of want to see it, I'll be honest. (laughs) 
I'd um, like to watch Bubba Ray wrestle as much as he'd like to speak to me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we've got Johnny Litran 5. I'm king of the world. I post random stuff. My backup account is Johnny Litran 6. It's Johnny Litran from the Fast and the Furious. He's got a background of Daredevil, so no. <laughs> I feel like it's a film character, no? Maybe. Not watching films isn't helping me here. <laughs> in which case, he has to be in AEW because it's only Tony Khan that pays for these things. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing on... His gimmick being posting random stuff on Twitter. Can we just give him the classic, he has a different gimmick every week? Like, recycle <laughs> that one again. Always the same. <laughs> Next up, we've got Tyler Evans. Tyler Evans. I was there, man. It was called the 90s. <laughs> I was there, man. See the guy who Undertaker lost face. The meme guy from Undertaker. The streak is over. Yeah. Oh, I was there, man. <laughs> I was there. It wasn't him. I think this is him. <laughs> well, we've got 90s Mike. So this just has to be 90s Tyler, right? And then a tag team. Absolute 90s. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't think they'd have more of a Britpop feud to argue over who's the most 90s. <laughs> I'm living more in the past than you are. <laughs> 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 that was a Sid reference, right? I loved it. <laughs> Next up, we've got ourselves Matthew Carr, a follower of Jesus Christ, former DLLB coach, special teams coordinator, opinions are my own. I'm pretty like what DLLB is. I know what special teams coordinator is. They're basically in charge of kicking in NFL. Okay. And punting and kick returning and punt returning. So he's the king of speciality matches. He's absolutely <laughs> terrible in straight-up wrestling, but he can yeah. a match. This guy will be doing things you've never seen before. Yeah, that's great. So he jobs out in singles, but I put him in a Buckwick Strikes midnight match. He's all over that. <laughs> can, he, can he bring back the Randy Orton punk kick as his finish as well? Definitely, yeah. That's good. He could be um, mates with Snitsky because he liked to punt. That's <laughs> still one, one of the best things ever, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> We're a couple of weeks removed from Father's Day now, so it's fine. <laughs> it wasn't his fault. What does everybody want? Last but not least, we've got ourselves a podcast that I wanted to shout out, which is When the Bell Tolls Podcast. Wrestling podcast, we try our best to cover all the brands and stay up to date on the events. Opinions are our own. Enjoy. Ruritan member? I don't know what that means, that last bit, but feel free to fill in. <laughs> Personally, I think the wrestling podcast market's massively oversaturated. Full of a load of losers is happy to record and send shows out to people who won't even listen. So <laughs> I'm glad we haven't fallen into that trap. Yeah. And coming soon is the sister podcast, Cricket Should Be Fun, uh, <laughs> which will probably have even less listeners. <laughs> I think that this podcast should team up with uh, 90s Tyler. And because they're when the bell tolls, I think that they should only put their podcast on Napster. <laughs> <laughs> so there it is. There's the call-up sheet for this week. Thanks for everyone who wanted their character. We hope that you've had fun with it. And we'll give you a shout-out when the pod drops so that you can listen to your new character names. We've had to start making these shit so people stop liking it because when we were at our best, we were getting like 20, 30 a week. 
That's it. Yeah. And then we have to sort of lower our own abilities and performances <laughs> to sort of just get down to a five. Or six. It, exactly. It was getting so bloated. We were contemplating yeah. a brand split. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. On that bombshell, we move on to what the nerds are watching. I've been watching you a la 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 long, a la 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 long, 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 come on. A la 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 long, a la 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 long, 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 So, lads, this weekend was the Forbidden Door pay-per-view, of course, the second installment from AEW where they face off against New Japan. And it's fair to say that the reaction online has been very, very positive. And I think we're going to match it on this podcast. Even you, Ross. Just... <laughs> Before we dive into each match bit by bit, let's just kind of have our overarching thoughts on it, starting with you, James. Um, yeah, really enjoyed it. I've watched it two or three times, not all the way through. Uh, slept through quite a lot of it the first <laughs> night. Um, not because it wasn't good, uh, just because, yeah, as I said, bit of a long weekend. Got basically straight home. Oscar was already outside. And obviously, nice of you to join us, Ross. And yeah, I just couldn't keep my eyes open. Stayed awake till after Punk's match, obviously. He did, yeah. Uh, and then periodically would wake up as you guys were screaming at something. And then <laughs> wake up at the end and you guys were like, well, that wasn't that good. What are people talking about? Best show ever. What are they watching? <laughs> So I watched it back yesterday and thought it was really good. And then I had to rewatch the middle part of Omega Osprey again because last night I didn't get back from work till 11.30 and that's when that was on. And again, I was very tired. So missed a portion, which I've just been catching up on now. So overall, a show that I fell asleep through twice, I thought was bloody brilliant. <laughs> not sarcasm. It was really good. How about you, Josh? Yeah, similar. I thought it was great. I have watched a few AEW pay-per-views live and not, again, similar to JCH really, not because they're not good, just because they are a bit of a slog sometimes because there's so many matches. I had the benefit this time, which I haven't for the last few AEW pay-per-views, of watching it the next day. So, yeah, I thought it was a great show. I thought it was a variety show. I thought there was something for everyone on the cards. I just thought it was really good fun. Perfect. And I'm assuming that you're going to make it a hat-trick, Shaft. Forbidden Door was a love letter to the art of professional wrestling. But perhaps more than that, it was a thank you. It was a justification for all of those kids who infected their computer downloading the hottest indie matches off a line wire in the early 2000s. All those people spent all those hours, as many of us did, on those wrestling forums hearing about the latest low-key match or the first ROH pay-per-views. It was a reward for people who have been fans of professional wrestling for decades on a hardcore level, uh, members of the IWC, as much as I hate that term, but to express it, people who bought shoot interviews from the early 2000s, tape traded, downloaded all of these shows, bought ROH DVDs, people who sat through and endured the John Cena era, the face Roman era, people who sat through the ruining of TNA by Bischoff and Hogan from what was a very good promotion. People who have had to endure the downfall of Ring of Honor from its heady heights uh, to it losing its way until recently. People who put in the effort to watch New Japan, even though it wasn't massively accessible, just to get that fix of good wrestling. This was a reward for all of those people. And I've never felt more seen watching a wrestling show. This show was for us. And it validated all of those efforts that I've been through as a wrestling fan over the last two decades to get through all of that. And 
it was just rewarding in so many different moments that I had a difficult week. I was quite tired, like Jason, you know, slightly different reasons, but I felt emotional in quite a few different parts. It made me laugh. It made me almost cry. Um, I had goosebumps just from entrance music. It was just incredible. I mean, it was headlined by four gods of professional wrestling. And quite frankly, they delivered what can only be described as a, a religious experience for me. A Forbidden Door is possibly my favorite pay-per-view ever. I know that WrestleMania 17 is often talked about as the best pay-per-view ever. This was the WrestleMania 17 for indie wrestling fans, for hardcore wrestling fans, for fans of that style. Incredible. I, I can't say anything better than that. Mate, you've absolutely smashed that. And Josh and JCH, you can learn a thing there. <laughs> I mean, it's a much better promo than mine, I'll be honest. It's why I wasn't headlining. I was, just, I was just trying to give JCH a chance to finish his curry. Yeah. <laughs> now, lads, um, great to hear from all three of you of how much you enjoyed it. It's a show that is a bit of a dream show for lots of people. And the fact that it paid off for all three of you is amazing and a fantastic start to what should hopefully be a brilliant week for all of us. So let's quickly go through the matches. I just wanted to touch on a few little things from the Zero Hour. Started off with the Mogul Embassy against Chaos. The big thing here for me is seeing Swerve Strickland get the pinfall. Someone that, for me... Hasn't quite hit the stride in AEW that we thought he may have done yet, but I think he will because he's too talented not to. I've done a bit of research and I've seen that he's won seven singles matches so far in, in AEW and they are against people like Billy Gunn and Serpentico and those types of wrestlers. And obviously when he faces up against more upper card guy, he's the guy that, that loses those singles matches. So hopefully this is um, the start of Strickland's upward swerve Good pun there, right? In um, AEW. A fun match and one that I lost in the short round, obviously. Any thoughts on it from you, James? Well, I just I was more just regaled by your Billy Gunn slander there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, no I, I agree with you on Swerve. I, I, the one I wouldn't quite agree is I think he has sort of hit his stride pretty well. I know he hasn't picked up the victories, but I think his performances are, oh, yeah, yeah. are, are a highlight and, and his... Need the uh, the two goobers who they got rid of after two weeks that didn't quite work for him, but um, now he's with those uh, gates of agony. I've quite enjoyed seeing them so far. Brian Cage is there as well, but uh, no, I think I think you're right, and he is sort of almost like a sort of gatekeeper, mid mid card gatekeeper at the moment. And whether that's a role he will settle into or whether he can ascend up the card, I'd say he's good enough to by a long way, but whether they see him at that, and that's what we've got to wait and see. Hopefully, he does, yeah. But I guess for Swerve fans, he is on Ring of Honor as well. If you're hardcore and you're watching the Ring of Honor stuff, he's a lot more successful in terms of his matches there. Josh, did you have any comments on this one? Just similar to what you've said, really. Big fan of Swerve and his work. I just think this roster is so ridiculously stacked. Like, no roster I don't think we've ever seen in any company. I think it's difficult for people like Swerve sometimes. But hopefully with the introduction of Collision and obviously Ring of Honor coming more into its own as time advances then uh hopefully swerve and other people get more opportunities and yourself chef no next one okay <laughs> <laughs> i, did, I um, didn't watch zero hour to be honest okay so. man all good all good uh then we had the former ember moon athena facing billy stark someone who super young not very seen on big cards like this this was a massive opportunity for her it was part of the owen hart foundation 2023 tournament 
We watched it live, James, and Billy Starks did okay, I thought. Obviously, um, up against someone with a lot more experience and someone that is firing on all cylinders, really. Someone that Ring of Honor can really say that they've got one of the best female wrestlers in North America, really. But Billy Starks did well, and and it was the Ring of Honor champion that went through. So uh, she's through to the semi-final. Do you think it's something that she could win, potentially, Owen Hart Foundation Cup? In which side of the bracket is she on? Is she mm. on the Brit Ruby side? I'm not sure. Which is definitely good enough to win it. But the fact that she's Ring of Honor would suggest to me she'll probably lose in the final or something. Or just by yeah, the way, maybe. sort of go with stuff. <laughs> yeah. Josh, did you watch the, uh, this one? I did, yeah. I just think Ember Moon's just... Oh, sorry, Athena, the former Ember Moon. I just think she's operating on a, another level at the minute. I think her being in Ring of Honor, being able to just be the champion there and dominate, I think working great for her. I think this heel persona that she's got is great. Yeah, look forward to seeing more of her as the tournament goes on. Yeah, I think dominate is the word to use for her. Some of the strikes that she's been hitting her opponents with of late have been brutal, haven't they? Um, there was parts in this match where I was saying to the guys live, like, is Billy Starks selling or did she just get kicked in the ribs really hard? And we weren't too sure. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, by the way, she's got Willow Nightingale in the semi-final. Oh, Ooh, that's yeah, a good match. Then she won't win. And then Sky Blue against the winner of Brit and Ruby. Gotcha. Good research there. Better than me, mate. Um, <laughs> Then we had El Fantasma versus Stu Grayson. And my highlight of this match by far was El Fantasma pulling out the 720 DDT and Excalibur saying Shades of Jody Flash. I do remember a bit of Jody Flash reference. Big and fan of Logan, Logan Paul reference. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we um, did a silly little joke saying that, oh my God, Logan Paul has stepped through the door and Twitter was telling us that, no, it wasn't. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> thank, thank, thanks for that. <laughs> Not much to really speak about in that match, but it was cool to see El Fantasmo on AEW, someone that I haven't seen on my TV screen for a while and someone that I really enjoyed when he was in Red Pro. And yeah, weird seeing him as a babyface again because I've been used to seeing him in Bullet Club, but I think he's been thrown out by Finley, right? Yeah, he's he's, he's uh, stacked on a bit as well, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He looks a lot, he looks a lot bigger, a bit thicker. Yeah, big fan. Uh, hopefully see a lot more of him in the near future. And then we ended on the sixth man, which was Bushi, Takahashi and Takagi up against Cobb, Fletcher and TJP, where obviously I got TJP in the shot round and had to do another shot of tequila, which was my least favourite of all the shots. This one was probably the best match of the card, I think, of Zero Hour. I just love seeing Jeff Cobb on my screen. Fletcher's amazing. And obviously we got Tessie Shingo as fleeting as it was. Perhaps we could have seen him on the main card, but I guess if there's nothing that they built towards it and that's just the well, way it is i guess that's the main takeaway from this it was zero hour and especially the last match of it was is just the amount of talent that couldn't even make the card yeah crazy right shingo who's been having match of the year candidates for a few years now hiromu kyle fletcher jeff cobb and that's just in the last match and these people weren't getting anywhere near there was nothing for them on the main card so yeah i think it just sort of speaks more of the talent that was available it shows what we're in store for coming up when you've got this sort of ability in the pre-show. Absolutely. So let's close off Zero Hour. Josh, did you have any thoughts on that main event of the Zero Hour? Again, nothing much to add to what you guys have said, really. Just think it's... It, I thought it was a perfect match to end kind of like a kickoff pre-show with just a, a fun party match, really. Yeah, absolutely. And that set us up for the main card. which kicked off with the AW World title match between MGF and Tanahashi. My main 
comment on this is that I absolutely loved it. It very much hit all of my sports entertainment feels. There was the old school 1989 Survivor Series type stuff where in the submission hold, MGF was holding the rope and then the ref couldn't see it. And then eventually he did and he kicked his arm off the rope. That's so Earl Hebner in 1989. Absolutely loved it. Don't know how much you guys felt it was a work rate match. I know that a lot of you guys put work rate probably more than I do. But for me personally, I really enjoyed it. MJF had the opportunity to be MJF, which I loved. Uh, he won by cheating again, which I loved. And Tanahashi, fair play to him. He didn't oppose to MJF pulling out his bow legs throughout, <laughs> throughout the uh, preview to this match and then targeted the knees themselves in the match. So there was a good little story to being told as well. So that's my takeaways from it. Let's hear from you, Chef, as we haven't since the pre-show. I think that uh, Tanahashi being on collision the night before was good in some senses because it massively tempered my expectations for this match. I think that it's clear that Tanahashi is seriously banged up and is lacking in terms of mobility and wasn't going to be able to perform anywhere close to the level that he's famous for in this one. Yeah, I, I found it quite sad to watch, honestly, as someone who's watched quite a lot of really great Tanahashi matches. He struggled to move in this one. Even hitting the ropes like he was slower than Sting, who's, you know, got at least 15 years on him, I think. So I, I found it quite sad. I didn't think it was a great match. I thought that MGF, credit to him, did everything he could to elicit a response from the crowd with all the classic hill tactics. But the crowd were not really into it either, just because it was very apparent that Tanner wasn't going to be able to perform at a particularly high level. He did what he could. I mean, respect to him for gutting it out. I think it's slightly worrying that he's going to be performing in the G1 next month because Tanner always pulls it out. Okay, so Tanner always has doubters and then he'll go out and have a couple of bangers and make me look silly. But I think at the moment it's slightly concerning that he's going to be taking part in the G1 uh, next month based on the condition it was in for Forbidden Door. One thing I would say, for someone who has got a top rope finisher, I've never seen anyone look more awkward on the ropes. He obviously fell off the top rope on collision. He struggled again here. I said to Ross privately that they had a storyline in WWF in about 1994 where Captain Lou Albano joined the head shrinkers and tried to modernize them by getting them to wear boots. And Fatou's finisher was a splash off the top. And as soon as he started wearing boots, he forgot how to climb the ropes and Tanner looked that <laughs> awkward. Um, and it's not just like a new thing. Uh, I know that we saw Tanahashi at York Hall for RevPro about six years ago. A lot of our mates there who were not au okay with New Japan, we spent the whole match building up his frog splash. Like, you got to see this. It's like the best frog splash ever. And when it came to hit, he got to the top rope and he slipped and got literally negative airtime um, <laughs> and just landed straight on the guy. Um, yeah. I think it was Gado. You know, so it's it's not a new issue. I, I, yeah. They, they did what they could to make it a good character-driven match. I thought it was a little bit sad. The one thing that I would say is that it was fantastic uh, awareness to put this on first because it meant that the bar was set quite low. If this would have come on after some of the other matches, I think it would have bombed. Um, but as an opener, um, with all the matches only going up in quality after this one, and that's something that I would say about this pay-per-view in general, I thought that the order of the matches was fantastic to ensure that no, obviously it was going to be impossible to follow Omega Osprey, which we'll get onto. But that aside, I thought the pacing and the the order of the matches was great to build to cohesive and enjoyable card. Fair, fair. Before I forget, also a great touch in this match was something that happened 
outside the ring when <laughs> M- where MGF scheduled a tweet <laughs> during the match so that he tweeted during the match saying, I've uh, scheduled this tweet because I've probably beaten him by now. Legend my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. JCH, what did you make of the match? Uh, I lean more on your side, Rossi, fair than Chef. I mean, I think you've both had similar opinions of the way that it was built around the character work. And because, but I think I know Tanner actually can't go. He probably will have the odd bang and the G one, but he hasn't been able to go at that level for a while, from what I've seen. So I was again, but you've got the legend of him. He probably deserves to get in the cards, similar to like you know Gareth Bale deserved to play for Wales in the World Cup, um, <laughs> and uh, and MJF. Like I say, I think MJF played it perfectly. He didn't try and... It's, it's probably suited his style more as a wrestler, I think, as well. I think that's more his kind of match. Obviously, you seen him have, like, the Danielson match where he, you know, probably went a bit out of his comfort zone. But I think this sort of match suited him more as a as a wrestler as well. He's been using the New Japan's and indie stick for a while as well. So, yeah, the good storyline of getting it on first. And similar to, I know you said that me and Josh need to work on our uh, stuff compared to... <laughs> that Shaffy, was a joke, David by the way. Monologue. I know it's a joke, but bring it back. But on this card, you had the matches that were the Shafi monologue coming up later, and you had more of the fun sort of jokey stuff that wasn't going to be work rate, so the crowd didn't get burnt out, which you often do hear as a complaint of AEW pay-per-views. And I say, similar to what Shafi was saying about the pacing, but also the way the different styles that were worked, and Josh, you mentioned it was a variety show, I think, for everyone. I think that was quite a big part of it being an enjoyable card when you didn't just have people going out there trying to have five-star match after five-star match after five-star match. And I think this was a perfect opener for the show on that regard. That's a great point. Josh? Yeah, I I will recant and say that's a fantastic point because often after an hour or two of an AW pay-per-view, I feel like I need to lie down. (laughs) It's so so intense. Um, So, no, that's a perfectly valid point. Uh, Josh, did you have any um, final comments on the opener? Yeah, I think I probably 55% to 45 lean towards what Shafi's been saying. I thought it was a good match, though. I I, I enjoyed it. I particularly adored uh, MJF's ring jacket, which had the words New Japan is an indie on it. I thought it was <laughs> absolutely fucking phenomenal, your work. And yeah, I, could, I think I could do a whole podcast about MJF and how great he is. And I thought Tanner, for the reasons that Shafi said, I thought he did his best to play his role in the match as well. So yeah, about as good as it could be, I think. Great stuff, lads. And uh, let's move on to the second match, which was the greatest wrestler in the world, according to JCH and Josh. <laughs> CM Punk. Payment man. <laughs> <laughs> CM Punk uh, back on pay-per-view uh, facing Satoshi Kojima, New Japan legend, of course. This, for me, the, the big ones here were the fact that uh, <laughs> he did the um, shout out that, that <laughs> yeah. Dom, Dom references this on the podcast every so often. It's something that I've not really seen, but there's a shoot interview where CM Punk is going, Kojima! Yeah. Kojima! <laughs> and, Samoa Joe's just pissing himself next to him. Yeah. And Samoa Joe's with him and, and, as you say, finding it really funny. And he was doing the clotheslines in the corner whilst screaming Kojima. And then he went, that's for you, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. The other thing that that I just wanted to mention is, and I'll let you guys talk more about it, but obviously he's getting mixed to heel reactions currently. And you can tell that they're not entirely leaning into it, but you can tell that CM Punk wants to because he is 
foaming at the mouth to be heel in AEW. You can just tell that he's just like he just can't wait to get his teeth into being a heel. And I can't wait to watch it either. We're not quite there full throttle, but the fact that it's so good already when it's at like 60% is exciting me. But I'll let you guys touch on that more. Let's start with you, Josh, on Punk Kojima. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not a hot take at all. I just think Punk's great. And I think this iteration of Punk's great. I think, I know Shafi will probably say some similar words in a minute, but I thought that promo on the first week of Collision was absolutely a heel promo. I thought it was just great. I think he was great in this match. I like the fact that he still showed respect to Kojima, despite the way you know the crowd reacted to him. And like you say, I think we're bubbling under the surface at the minute with Punk in terms of the character he can be. But I think give it a couple of months when he kisses and makes up with a certain few individuals, I just think it's going to be amazing. So yeah, um, this match got me excited for what's to come really with CM Punk uh, in terms of the match itself. Again, much like the first one, I thought it was just about as good as it could have been. Yeah, James, we watched this live and the big takeaway for us watching live was Mongolian chops. I thought you were going to say I managed to stay awake. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I say I loved it. I like dickhead punk. Yeah, you, yeah. I, I think you summed it up, Ross. I don't want to go on and just repeat, but I will for a little while. Um, yeah, he's just. You can tell he's he is foaming at the mouth. A good way of putting it. He can't wait to be that guy. He, he all his. I don't say all his best work is heel. I think looking back on it, if you sort of think well, he did the summer of punk twice, straight edge society, the Jeff Hardy dance into the ring. Um, <laughs> and I feel like I, I mean I'm not sure if we would have got it last year if he hadn't got injured a bit earlier. And obviously, it's taken a long, winding road to get here. But I think this time, he must know his body's not where it used to be in terms of holding up. So he probably doesn't want to hold back so long. I mean, the fans, obviously, there's a lot of internet dorks out there who like the elite who uh, decided to turn him heel so we can thank them for it. Finally, they've done something useful. He got the zing in there. (laughs) Uh, Shaf, will uh, main with you on this one? I think for someone like Punk, who's taken so much criticism over the last nine months or so, They've shown incredible self-awareness with how the fans are likely to receive him. Josh obviously mentioned his promo on the first week back. I don't know if I would say it was a full hill promo, but it was definitely like, you know, if you're with me, some of you are going to love me, some of you are going to hate me. If you hate me, fuck you, you're soft. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and that kind of, that feels authentic to punk, you know, so that comes across as genuine. And my my wife hates wrestling. And my daughter's got no interest in wrestling. <laughs> uh, she's like she's only three, but I was watching that collision promo the first week he came back, or the first collision show, and I happened to be watching it in the living room. And they normally avoid, you know, being around. But my wife was getting my daughter ready to go out. She was doing her hair and stuff. And when Punk cut that promo, they both just stopped what they were doing. Like it was really interesting for two people who have no interest in wrestling, but he just has a way of capturing people's attention in the way that he talks. So as he was delivering that promo, even though they had no idea what he was talking about, no idea what he was saying, they both just sat still for a minute or so, just listening to him. And it was it was so interesting to see how captivated they were. I still hate wrestling, but um, you know, for that for that minute, like it was just really interesting to see the effect that he can have on people. Uh, his Christmas obviously off the charts, but in terms of self awareness, as I said, it's great because he. This week on Collision, he obviously didn't get the hero's welcome. And one of the first things the commentator said, Kevin Kelly said, was, we're not in Chicago anymore. Yeah, you know, yeah. So the company are not surprised by it. They're not trying to force that face reaction that where in other companies where 
the main faces got a mixed reaction. They've still tried to force a narrative. They're not doing that. They're quite leaning into it. I think it's got so much potential for where it can go. We're very much in Bret Hart 97 territory where Canada loves him and America hates him. We've kind of got that. And when he does go full hill, it'll be fantastic. Hopefully they will sort out a face situation to go against him. You know, as the guys have said about the elite, that'd be great if they can sort that out and put their egos uh, to one side. I mean, if they can't, then it kind of proves Punk's point in the brawl out presser that he's the only one who's trying to do business. Yeah. Because that match will be huge. Punk Omega or Punk and the Elite, it'll be huge. So if they can't put everything aside to get that done, then they kind of prove him right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In, in terms of the match, yeah, I thought it was a step up from the first one. Enjoyed it much more than I expected. Particularly Kojima, I think, is 52. Uh, yeah. yeah. They went out and put on a, a show. And Punk was doing a lot of heelish type taunts, similar to MJF, but was getting much more out of the crowd, uh, which made it a lot more enjoyable for me. Yeah. Did you notice in um, that collision promo that he mentioned, I earned what's in this bag, not because I had the best dog collar match, but because I won that match. It's quite an interesting (laughs) inkling that he said, where it's like, it's almost like he's going down the MGF route of like, it's not about you marks that like star ratings. I just found that interesting, that like one little thing that he said. Do you not think he was just being respectful to Jay? Because he's big mates of FTR, isn't he? <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. That was that was quite highly regarded as a dog collar match, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, I think the belt, well, I'm assuming it's a belt-based bit, was like the heel bit. And that was maybe like a, because even like at the end of this, when he was holding up Kojima, because he's obviously got a lot of time for Kojima. Yeah. He's trying to like, so I don't think he's trying to shit it all over his some of the people he respects and 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 that sort of thing. Yeah, well, as you say, still leaning into the character a bit. I don't know, but I might be completely wrong there. I think yeah. he's just being CM Punk. I think that's just who he is. I think you, JCH, as well as me. I think the reason we like CM Punk is because he's a bit of a dick. I think that's just how he is. <laughs> and I quite I like the fact that he owns the fact that he's a dick. So yeah, I'm like you guys. I'm just fascinated to see where it all goes. Talking so about um, the um, babyface to go up with next, is I know he's been working with Starks a bit, doing his turn on Starks. Is that someone they could go against as a sort of in-between as they get ready for something bigger at maybe all-in, all-out weekend? Well, I think he's got, obviously, in the short term, he'll have the winner of Roddy Strong, Samoa Joe in that um, tournament. So I think, yeah, isn't Starks other... on the other side of the bracket in that as well? He yeah. is, yeah. That's, that's the final one, maybe the final Yeah. So that'd be interesting to see what they do there. Why does everyone like assume that he had the belt in that bag? I've watched enough classic WWF to know it could be a snake. <laughs> <laughs> or and actually, CM, that, CM, that would CM Punk sense. has told us a few times that he is a snake. He is a snake. Yeah, that would be great. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> what a great shout. Jake's nice. dropping Archer and he's joining Punk. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, on um, CM Punk, so obviously there's a fair amount to talk about with him. Um, I can't remember if James was asleep or not during this point, but me and Oscar were definitely having a conversation of, we're, talk, like, we're obviously talking about CM Punk 1997 parallels. Do you think there's an opportunity to do a title switch with the double turn, a la Austin Hart with MJF and Punk? I was awake for that, but I pretended but- to be asleep and didn't contribute. <laughs> I do remember you talking about that. Yeah. What do you reckon, Sheriff? Is there? I think there's definitely a possibility. I think that that became apparent at All Out. Obviously, when Punk won the title, MGF came out afterwards. Uh, you know, with the Devil reveal. Um, yeah. And he got a lot of cheers, and there were, I would say, at least a smattering of boos for Punk, even in Chicago. Uh, at were, All Out. 
you know. So I definitely think it's on the cards. With the two belt situation, you know, you could see a winner takes all type scenario. That would be pretty um, sweet for Wembley, right? Ooh. Yeah. I don't know if that's too soon. It's hard to say. I can't think when the next pay-per-view is after. It'll be November, wouldn't it? I think it's all after out the week after. Yeah. But the one after that would be well, I think okay, November. Yeah. yeah. So I think two two months might be a bit quick for that storyline arc. Um, well, although I appreciate that if they did it all out, then the the parallels with the year before would be fun and interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But considering they're on separate shows at the moment and Although I think MJF's got a match on Collision this week. Yeah, they're basically making him wrestle all the time, aren't they? And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, Roman yeah. only works once a month. <laughs> like, per- from a personal point of view, if they're going to do this two-title type thing, I would rather they drag it out a bit because one of the criticisms, obviously, of the 2011 Summer of Punk was that it was over so quickly. That idea that he left with the title and then came back a couple of weeks later. So yeah. if they could drag it out to maybe November and do a, a sort of a slow burn into a, a double turn, then I think that would be great. But I've got full faith in Tony Khan. Like he, he hasn't let us down, so I'm happy to just sit back and and see where they take us. And I feel like Punk's quite involved in his own storyline telling, which is <laughs> he's done quite well over his career. So I think, yeah, the combo should work quite well. Sure. Okay, let's move on to the next match, which was the AEW International title. Orange Cassidy versus Daniel Garcia, Shibata and Zack Sabre Jr. And my quick little ones on this were Daniel Garcia is absolutely killing me at the moment (laughs) with his character. (laughs) I absolutely love his sports entertainment hip swivels during and after every single move that (laughs) that he does, it seems, at the moment. Love that. Absolutely love the fact this is the first time that I've seen a match with Shibata recently where it felt like the wrestlers were okay with hitting him quite hard. And it made quite a bit of a difference. Um, Obviously, he's got pretty severe brain injury and it's not great to watch someone that's got a brain injury getting whacked in the head. But it appears to be that people have got over the fear of it and the hard hittingness of Shibata matches in the past were what made him exciting. And whilst he can give it out, he hasn't been taking much. Whereas in this one, in particular... Daniel was absolutely smashing him with some forearms and stuff. So that made the match a lot more hard-hitting and fun for me. I thought this match was the best match of the card for the opening four matches. Loved it. And also the last little fun thing was that obviously OC was the one that stole the pin from Zach. So hopefully we're still going to get some of that further down the line because that seems to be something that storyline-wise is really interesting as well. So those are my takeaways. Let's start with you, JCH. I say, I, I love this as I watched it. I did rewatch this one back the next morning and thought it was absolutely brilliant. What I will say, I know you mentioned Orange and Zach at the end. I thought that what they've done the best out of this is set up all those combinations. Like there's Shibata and Zach having like it harking back to the Rev Pro um, yeah. feud. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that's what their callbacks were exactly. I don't remember matches, but it seemed like that, you know, they had it. They've got a history and they've yeah. got a bit of New Japan history recently as well, haven't they? As well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a setup like Zach and Shibata. Shibata and OC sort of friends, but you know, I could beat the youth for the title maybe if this other guy wasn't here. You got Zach and Orange, and then Garcia. Just I think you could spin him off with any of them as well. Easy, and he's also got a. There's just a lot of titles and a lot of different promotions, and it was yeah, just a really fun match. I say the spot when they were they were just uh, slapping each other whilst Garcia and Castellan in sleepers was like a highlight. I say all of the Zach and Shibata stuff I thought was really good and made me want to watch that again 
yeah, really enjoyed it. I thought it was probably might go underrated by some people, but by the looks of it, it wasn't, which is fantastic. I remember you saying when we were watching live, James, that um, you actually think that OC has potentially been the best thing in AEW this year. Yeah, obviously, like Punk's only there for two weeks. So, but uh, yeah, his <laughs> title run has been fantastic. I really enjoyed it. I say we watched the presser with Danielson. I think you left halfway through it because the tube started. But he was saying that when he first sort of came in, he's like, I don't really, I'm not really sure this guy is a bit of a joke, but now he's having like the best matches on the show. And I think I've said it over the last couple of weeks as well. Just every time he's in, he's in the title match, you think he might lose it. They put incredible people against him. He's, he's getting more and more beaten up, more and more injured, sneaking out victories. A lot of people thought that title was unnecessary. And you compare it to what, bar the last two weeks, what's happened to a TNT title. And I think it's, it's been elevated above it. And maybe you know, if that's going to be the work rate title, then great. And it's definitely got a place and he's created that, I think. Yeah, for sure. Shaf, let's have you on this one. I think that this match is probably going to be forgotten by history. But on a on a podcast called Wrestling Should Be Fun, this is as much fun as you're going to have in 11 minutes watching wrestling. It had a bit of everything. This was a, a variety match as such. You know, there were spots that made me laugh, like some of the stuff that JCH said about Shibata and Zach just still being determined to go for each other. There's a spot with Garcia where he was dancing and he got hit and then he kept, he no-sold it, <laughs> and kept dancing and got hit. That just like cracked me up. I thought as someone who hasn't necessarily been the biggest fan of Zack Sabre Jr. over the years, <laughs> I thought that he was great in this match. Um, he stacked up as well, isn't he? A lot. He has, yeah, and which is like one of the biggest criticisms is that mm. he did look like he was about six stone. And whilst he hasn't piled on muscle mass, he just looks grown up now. And yeah, I thought he was fantastic. There's a brilliant mix of styles in this match. And as I say, it'll probably be forgotten, but if you've got 11 minutes to watch a wrestling match, I would go out of your way to watch this one. Yeah, definitely fit. The uh, wrestling should be fun mantra, doesn't it? 100%. And Josh? I think the biggest compliment I can give this match is if I was to show any match on this show to a non-wrestling fan to try and get them into wrestling, I think I'd probably pick this one just because it did have a bit of everything. I think you've got four guys in there who are pretty contrasting in some ways, but very similar in the others. I think the individual stories, as the guys have mentioned, and then the underlying story of this, it slowly crept up on people. But I think it's been quite the phenomenal title reign, really. I think we're in a time where there's been a lot of long title reigns. I don't think we see as much belt swapping as maybe we have in years gone by in various promotions. But I think this story of this Orange Cassidy one, as it's gradually creeped up on us, that he's getting more and more tired and having to use more and more different ways to win. However it pays off will obviously dictate how people remember the title reign in general. But yeah, I just thought this was another step on that ladder of a great title reign and I think a pretty fun match overall. Well said, mate. Well said. Let's move on now to the IWGP World Heavyweight title match between Sonada and former Jungle Boy, now just Jack Perry. I think this is the one that's online that has seemed to get a bit of negativity, but I'm going to keep it fairly positive here in that I've been someone that has been definitely against the booking recently of Jack Perry. But the fact that they've pulled the trigger with the hill turn after this actually excites me quite a bit because the character has really, really been forced into it a little bit because... If you go back to the match that he had in the casket match against Christian, he was having to go to places physically that he never would have previously gone. Like he was being very, very violent in that match. The concerto and stuff. It was almost like rather than being excited that he'd vanquished Christian, it was almost like he was pissed off that he had to go to that point to do it. And that was the start of this kind of turn. Then obviously he's lost his best mate to Christian. And now Christian and Luchasaurus have got titles, which is the one thing that Jack Perry's failed to get. And it's almost like that was the final straw. So actually, 
whilst I hated at the time that a babyface like Darby Allen was trashing his personality on live TV, I absolutely hated it at the time. I think potentially the fact that they've actually pulled the trigger in and they haven't just let him rot, which is pretty much what they've let him do as a babyface. If this was the intention the whole time, pat on the back to Tony Khan because it's been actually quite a fairly well-rounded turn, I think. So that's my view on it in terms of a positive vibe. Let's go into the match itself. Let's start with you, Josh. Yeah, so the way I read this was, and I think Sonada, they kind of leaned into it in the build-up as well, that some people, including Sonada himself, were quite underwhelmed with the fact that this was the IWGP title match. But the way I read it, by the way they did the match, and obviously it played true after, was that this was the story of Jack Perry not being on the level of an IWGP champion. So Sonada came in, beat him, walked out. And then I think that kind of laid into the afters that, you know, that happened after the match. So yeah, as a match, it was kind of, I think, just there. I've quite liked Sonada for a few years. He's impressed me in a few G1s down the years. I'm glad that he's the guy now in New Japan. I think that's great. I think he looks like a star, for sure. I want to give a big shout out to Taz for the afters. I thought if that was just how he really felt or that was just him acting, bravo, because I think that was phenomenally well done. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with Jack Perry. I hope he can pull it off in terms of being a heel character. I have faith. He's a young guy. He's a talented guy. I'll be interested to see how they go with that. And obviously, if they have this feud with Hook and how that goes. But yeah, like I said, I think the means will justify the ends with this match, the way they did it, and then the afters. Chef, what was your thoughts, Everall? Yeah, I think it's interesting with regard to the heel turn, because I know that the way that you've interpreted the reasons why he's turned heel, the way that I interpret it is quite different. So the way that I interpret it is that he has gone through this year of hell where Christian has made his life hell, has taken away his best friend, he's trashed his dead dad, he's trashed his family, he's just been truly awful to the guy. And Jungle Boy has finally gotten over that and gotten into the Four Pillars feud and the fans have ultimately turned on Jungle Boy. But he has done everything right. He has been the nice guy. He, you know, why are the fans booing him? That is going to be his justification for why he's a heel. You know, he's gone out, he's tried to, let's be honest, like that Four Pillars feud killed him because they played into a lot of real life stuff. And the fans started to cheer Sammy, who in the story or in the show has been a piece of shit. Whereas Jack has been exemplary, like it's been a good person. Whereas the fans have gone more for Sammy when Sammy certainly hasn't been, has done, you know, a lot of shitty things. So, yeah, the one thing, again, kind of like with Punk, I'm glad that they've just accepted that, okay, this is the way that the fans want things to be and they're playing into that rather than trying to turn it around or getting us into that weird place where we were with Cody where the fans were booing him for like six months and he wouldn't accept (laughs) that he wasn't, (laughs) like he wouldn't play into it at all. He would just play it completely straight, which really sort of ruined his time there as such. In terms of the match... I'll be honest, I'm not a massive fan of Sonada. I kind of have the same apathy towards him as I do towards Jungle Boy. So it was never going to be the type of match that I was massively into, but they kept it reasonably short. They did the storyline stuff at the end, so we've got something out of it. And also, I feel like this is where the good pacing came in, because from this point, we kind of alternate good match with great match, if you look down the card. So after this, we go into the Blackwall Combat Club 5-man, which I thought was great, and then alternate between the two as JCH said earlier, to not completely exhaust the fans. So I was happy with the job that this did on the card without necessarily being blown away by the match itself. Yeah. JCH, I know that you're not a particularly big Sonada fan, but did you see any positives in this? 
Yeah, I see. Like, I think all three of you have laid out different heel turn reasons. I think all are viable, except the one problem with Josh's is like, but not being seen on a level of Sonada. If you just said not being seen on a level of the IWGP champion, even right. <laughs> 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 no, I, I, I think I need a more. I think I said to you, Ross, a couple of weeks ago when we were picking for the cup that there's a Jungle Boy hook turn coming. It was sort of in the cards. And then also, I think the not winning a title and Luchasaurus winning a title when he sort of set out to win a title could be the thing that pushed him over the edge. But then Shaft's point about the fans, because he did after he knocked out Hook, started doing the, yeah. trying to get him to come on, sing my song now and at the end. <laughs> so I feel like I was like, all three of them could be possibilities. I feel that sort of reaction at the end, which A, it was great to see him sort of playing into being a dick because he's been like more of a sort of clean cut baby face most of his career that I've seen. I mean, I think the fan turning might be his reasoning, but I think he could play into all three of those things. I wasn't seeing on Sonata's level... This dickhead is now walking around with a title and I haven't got one. And then you turned on me to fans. So it could be a combination of all three. I hope he comes out dressed as sort of Luke Perry from 90210. <laughs> uh, leather jacket on a motorbike, just being a sort of cool guy, alcoholic. He was a bit of a dick at the start. And he came back and had a face turn. So maybe that'll yeah, that'll be his reprieve later on. Before we I was, move I was, on. It wasn't, it wasn't long enough for me to be offended by it. I can't tell you anything about the match. There's a moonsault that finished it that seemed to be quite flat. I don't think people were expecting that to be the end. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. And maybe that plays into Josh's story that Sonada had to go into another level and create a new finish to win the IWGP title. And he's gone back to using his old one to beat Jack Perry. So that <laughs> Yeah. That's actually <laughs> very smart. Yeah, yeah. Previous to us going forth to the 10-man, I'm going to quickly say that here's number four reason why they're turning him here. It's because TK has spent an absolute fortune on Brian Danielson's theme tune, and he can't... Not <laughs> more anymore. I would say, though, really good, exciting for Hook to get a storyline, because he hasn't really had much, has he? And he's yeah, yeah. Get him away from those fucking Hardy boys. That's what I was saying. <laughs> So let's now move on to the 10-man tag match between the Elite and the Blackpool Combat Club. This went 21 minutes, and it felt like it only went five minutes. It flew by for me, personally. So much action. Can't really go into too much because there was just so much. But the big thing for me on this one was the Takeshita knockout of Ishii on the apron. That was absolutely amazing. <laughs> and Mox and Kingston and Claudio. That storyline is amazing. And just the crowd reaction when it was eight men left the ring and it was just Mox and Kingston in the ring. That reaction was amazing. And that's proof in the pudding that that's a big time match to put on at a later date. And I saw that Bully Ray, actually, someone that normally spouts all kinds of shit online, was saying to Tony Khan that Ed Kingston is your storytelling king and he's someone that you need to put on pretty much all of your shows and yeah I agree he's amazing let's start this one off with JCH yeah I say the underlying obviously it's great action great athletic quality Takeshita I think shone a lot in the match but the overwhelming story is the Kingston like was he like Moxley so him taking the double super kick for Moxley and then Moxley and going around to actually well, he put a hit him with a cutter, I think, when it came to the two of them. So yeah. it sort of shows, like, that's painted a quite clear heel face when I know Moxie's been being a heel for a long time, but he's obviously gets a bit of cheers. And Kingston, who's been a heel for a long time, well, tweeners don't exist till they read the debate, but I think that's the <laughs> it, 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 it drew the lines in the sand, didn't it? And then Claudio's there knocking around, and maybe he'll go through Claudio to get to Moxley or the other way around, and Moxley's getting another shot at Claudio's title. But he's obviously going off to do a G1 soon, isn't he, as well? So 
I think I sort of half agree with what you said that it felt like five minutes, but you could also tell me it was 40 minutes because there seemed to be so much in it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't think it dragged for me, even watching it not live in the next day, which I normally don't enjoy watching stuff not live. But I didn't think at any point it was dragging. But when it was said it was only went 20 minutes, I was surprised. I thought it had gone longer, even though it felt short, if that makes any sense at all. I'm not sure. But I think that... I mean, I might have been wrong, but Paige and the Young Bucks were sort of there doing great stuff. But I don't even know what they're coming out of it is. There's like a Paige to Kester, maybe. I don't know what the Young Bucks are going to come out of this to do. Maybe go back to having tag matches. You're good at that. Isn't this now technically 1-1 between the two factions? So this is no, like... 2-1. The... They've, like, they've, be- they've beat them twice in a week, pretty much, haven't they? They beat them on Dynamite about two weeks ago. Yeah, that's true. So it's 2-1, so... I mean, you get to a point where it's blood and guts. Um, yeah, yeah. But... I, was, I was just about to say, surely this is the blood and guts match, isn't it? Shafi, what was your thoughts on this 10-man? There's not a lot to say that hasn't already been covered. I thought it was fantastic. Kingston seems to just be brilliant at creating these moments in these multi-man matches. He had it last year when he came out covered in blood with the can of gasoline and poured it all over Danielson, who happened to be on his team, and Jericho. I mean, Bully Ray advocating for a push with a fat old guy is, you know, perhaps understandable. <laughs> but, um, like, he's got an incredible connection with the audience. Eddie Kingston, to be honest, I didn't really know a lot about him before he joined AEW, but he's been brilliant. He's so good. The fans want him. I'm not necessarily saying he should be world champion. I want to say he's almost a bit like Dreamer in the original ECW, in that the fans are behind him. He's one of their own. They love him, but he's never really going to win the big one. Yeah. And I think he's great in that role. This match, you said, was 21 minutes. Honestly, it could have been twice as long because a lot of the focus was on, you know, Takeshita got a shine, Kingston, Mox and Claudio, as you said, but they could have done so much more. Like uh, the Bucks and Hangman were almost an afterthought in this match, which, you know, is they will obviously have other times to shine as they, they have recently. But yeah, it was great. There's not a lot more to say about it than that. And I'm excited again to see what relationship with Mox has been really interesting over the past couple of years. Obviously, they were together when he first came. They had the match against the Bucks. Now Kingston teaming with the Bucks against Mox. Yeah. I mean, it pulled at all the heartstrings. Quick interrupt, like, just based on Eddie Kingston. Was it last year, was it the Blood and Guts, where he had Jericho or someone in the match in the, in the submission, but they, they tacked out to Claudio's submission before his? So even yeah. though he won, he didn't win. Was That was part of it as well. So it's been going on for like a year or so, isn't it? And, well, that's been going on for a long time, which commentary kept bringing up. And how about you, Josh? yeah pretty pretty much echoing what all you guys have said really i'm quite a big fan of boxing and i've seen people win world heavyweight title fights with punches that look worse than that uh takashita one on (laughs) i just thought it was phenomenal and also i think they've set up well they've announced john moxley against ishii for dynamite and a friend of mine stefan sent me a message saying uh, my chest hurts already just thinking about this match (laughs) so very much looking forward to that That leads us into the women's world title match, Tony Storm beating Willow Nightingale. Of course, Tony Storm partnered with Soho and Soraya on the outside. I'm actually really enjoying, I think that the uh, outcasts give me the same kind of like, I enjoy booing them in that same way that Lana Austin experienced. I enjoy booing at Progress. And I think having the title on her works, like that sort of act works so much better when they've got gold to brag about. Um, And I think Storm's the right choice of those three to hold it at this point. So I'm really happy in terms of where they're at with that. Willow Nightingale, yet again, people seem to really enjoy her, which is an important thing for a babyface. She's obviously got the New Japan Strong title as well. 
with the victory over Mercedes, which holds a lot of gravitas. So she's on her way up, and I enjoyed it. And I think that the Tony Storm reign so far has been decent. How about you guys? Uh, let's start with Shaf. Yeah, the Outcasts, are, I find them a bit odd in some ways because to me, they are three WWE people doing a very WWE act, which is a massive contrast to a lot of what's on AEW. But it's it's working at the moment. They're getting TV time. They're getting the opportunity to build matches, which is something that obviously has been a criticism of AEW in the past. So, yeah, I think that the match did what it needed to do. And again, was, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way at all, but was the opportunity to catch the breath before going for another great match after this one. Yeah. Uh, JCH? Yeah, I'd say similar. I think watching the scrum afterwards, and you got to really see a lot more of what the personality Tony Storm's been bringing out in the last few shows. I think she took a while to sort of get into this heel gimmick. She seems like, I don't know, I don't know her. She seems like quite a nice person. She's always been, from what I've seen, more of a baby face. And it seems to be quite awkward at the start, but I think she's sort of grown into it with this sort of sarcastic, what you need more into like a funny dick role than a, like, trying to be mean. I mean, obviously, it's sort of got that mean element, but, like, taking it from more of a comedy point of view, I think she suits her character better. And I think, yeah, the, she was really good in the press conference afterwards. Uh, yeah, fine match. I say nothing stands out massively. I'd say apart from the uh, crowd's uh, enjoyment of Willow, which just continues to grow. And uh, yeah, I just think the Tony Storm is sort of growing into his personality and I hope it continues for her. And we'll end on Josh. Yeah, again, not really much more I can add to what the two guys have said previously. I thought it was a pretty good match. I think women's title matches for this and the TBS title on AEW pay-per-views have had a checkered history, I'll say. But I thought in terms of between the ropes wrestling, I thought this was probably up there with one of the better ones, I thought. I think two very good wrestlers. I think two women who are in very good roles. Uh, I think they both play them pretty well. And I don't think Willow will be harmed too much by the loss because obviously, as we mentioned earlier, she's still in the, uh, the tournament as well. So... Yeah, I think uh, positives all round from this match, really. Good stuff. And then we moved on to what has currently got a 9.61 rating on Cage Match. The (laughs) second match in the hopeful trilogy that ends at Wembley between (laughs) Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega for the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. My take on this was that this is a slightly hot take in that I was amazed that people online were saying that this is match of the decade. And the reason for that is that I felt this was so sports entertainment that it was right up my alley and I absolutely loved it. But I was expecting online to be like, oh, they've made this match so 80s wrestling. It's got Don Callis being sent out and then coming back in. It's got the, the security guys outside. It's got the nod, nod, wink, wink stuff with Osprey biting Omega. It's got the flag waving stuff that used to happen in the Attitude Era. I honestly was expecting people to be like, after the Wrestle Kingdom match that was just an out and out wrestling war, I was amazed in a happy way, actually, that this was such a success in terms of people's enjoyment of it, because I was actually feeling pretty scared watching this being like, oh God, the internet guys are going to hate this because it's so sports entertainment, but fair play. Everyone loves sports entertainment, just like me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Talk about it. You and Oscar hated it, mate. No, we I didn't. Up and you were like, what about shit? No, I was not. <laughs> you were like, oh, best match of the year, rubbish. What's the internet been watching? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's have the thoughts on this massive match 
from Josh at the start of this one. Yeah, so I said to the guys before we started recording that I thought the first match was better, but I will probably go back and watch this one more. I thought the match in Japan was one of the best matches I've ever seen in my entire life. But I loved so many different spots in this match. I think the one winged angel um, (laughs) spot was one of the better spots I've seen. It brought me right back to the spot they did with the uh, BT trigger in the match with the Bucks and Kenny and Hangman where... Kind of kicked out of one of that, uh, and it was out of Park, that one. Jeff called us on a three, but he picked one the title. <laughs> same, just same. <laughs> but yeah, I think I can't remember who else made the point, but it was the thing that annoyed me about this match, and it was probably my only negative, was the fact that they banned Don Callis from ringside, and then when he returned, they didn't give a shit, and I was really slightly like worried that they were going to do the screwdriver spot as the finish. And I think if they did, I think people's opinion on this match would have been quite a lot different. So, yeah, I, I, I thought it was amazing. Uh, I'm, like you guys, very much hopeful that we get the trilogy match at Wembley. That would be great. <laughs> uh, but also, I want to give a shout out to the fact that they use Elevated for Will Ospreay's theme, which was cool. And then Kenny's theme from New Japan as well. Because for a personal story for a minute, I had a pretty tough time in one summer. Pretty much the only thing that kept me happy was the G1. Uh, and it was the G1 where Osprey did quite well and he had that great match with Okada. So whenever I hear that song, it makes me happy. So, yeah. Lots of happy thoughts on this match for me and a big thumbs up. Lovely stuff, Josh. Thanks for sharing. And Shaf, let's go to you on this one. Uh, no, no, no. I'm not going after Shaf for this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> James is calling an audible. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I was buzzing to opening the card on this match. <laughs> I think I'm one of the people who, I did like it more than the Japanese match because Osprey won. <laughs> um, it, no, I, I say, as I mentioned earlier, it took me three goes to get through it, and that's an absolute insult and a joke, and nothing to do with it being not good at all. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, so many, as I say, memorable spots like Tiger Driver 91 coming out. You got Sharpshooter Crossface, uh, a lot of big knees, which you know I'm a fan of. Um, <laughs> it, in the one defense of a Don Callis coming back out, Josh, they did continually say disqualifications are at the referee's discretion. <laughs> Um, in well, we didn't come on fucking sort the refs out. And they said, and they even did say something like, oh, you know, New Japan was plagued with DQs in the 80s, so they, they made it so it's at the referee's discretion and that sort of thing. So <laughs> uh, that's giving them an out there. But yeah, I, that, you know, it is what it is. But no, what, yeah, what a match. And it, was, uh, and it was very violent. It was a violent match. It felt like an absolute war. And it was almost, I would say there were so many callbacks and I don't really watch matches twice, but like things that like obviously opposite of the Japanese match with obviously Osprey putting Kenny trying to put his head through a door, like whatever he did to the other way around. The blood really added to it. Uh, even, and it, it was a very blood free AEW card for a show that involved John Moxley. Uh, so <laughs> I think that even stood out even more just that like almost being the only blood maybe. But um, yeah, no, really, really enjoyed it. So I'm disappointed myself I didn't manage to watch it on the night. But I think watching it with a clear head was probably a better way of experiencing it for myself. And yeah, I won't go on too long because I'm sure Shaf's got stuff to say. But yeah, um, as a match I might watch again. And I don't tend to watch matches back hardly ever. So 
Yeah. High praise indeed. And and one more thing. That's the Kelly Omega I want to see in AEW, not the one dicking around with the young bucks. You're better. Like, <laughs> seriously, though, you, you're good enough to have these these absolute bangers, best balance machine, whatever you, moniker is. Go out and have them. And now he's had, and that's just starting to happen a bit. I mean, I love his pack mats. I've mentioned it many times before. There was, there's other good ones as well. And now two with Osprey this year. But keep doing this, please. Don't, the the Vikingo um, one was great, wasn't it? Vikingo is enjoyable, really enjoyable as well. Yeah. But yeah, just stay in the singles feud. And let the Bucks go back to being one of the best tag teams in the world, and just you know, you can have the odd trios match on Dynamite or Collision if you fancy turning up. But you know, <laughs> yeah, to the big leagues. Yeah, <laughs> come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. <laughs> just before we move on to the main event of uh, Shaft talking about this match, <laughs> I was around for the scrum of this, and I was a little bit disappointed to hear that Osprey was saying that. He's going to pretty much finish up in the UK at the end of this year after he gave us that impassioned speech after his match at the Dome where he beat Tate Mayfair's and he said, I'm so sorry that I've let you guys down and don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. A bit he like... said the Indies, the small league, so he'll still be at RevPro. That's true. That's true. I actually think that's a, a good decision. We need as much of Osprey as we can get, or for as long as we can get. He's obviously changed his style quite significantly. The way he was going, he'd probably be retired now. You know, he was so broken down. It's amazing the way that he's been able to change his style. It is a bit funny that like a month ago, we were watching him in front of 600 people. And I understand why he does that. And it's not really a financial decision because let's be honest, he's making a, a hot dog and a handshake for a show like that. If but, <laughs> But I do think that it actually harms the mystique of Osprey in some ways by working those shows. I think other wrestlers who are maybe not even on his level feel more special because they don't wrestle those type of matches. Like if you want to see, for example, Okada, you you're probably going to have to go to Japan. You know, you may get one chance a year to see him in America. He's certainly not going to be coming to the Electric Ballroom. So I actually don't think it's a bad thing. I think it will hopefully add to the longevity and the mystique of possibly the best wrestler in the world. I don't think that's a bad shout, but I do think it's annoying that he stood there and told us, don't worry. <laughs> Wrestlers yeah, telling he, lies. He's a heel now, Ross. He's trying to heel with Don Callis. <laughs> he lies. Heels lie. Tell me lies. <laughs> I'm getting worked again, aren't I? <laughs> Always. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Shaf, now let's have your beautiful rendition of what this match was to you. I, I think it's worth pointing out at this stage that saying... I didn't think the internet would like Osprey versus Omega because it was sports entertainment. It's possibly the worst take in the history of <laughs> wrestling podcasts. What I would say is, yeah, this match was was perfect. And because of those elements, because of those sports entertainment elements, I thought that Justin captured everything that's perfect about wrestling. Osprey coming out, he was more than happy to play the hill. Just seeing him walk out and point to someone in the crowd and you know, dare him to jump over the guardrail. And when the guy inevitably didn't want to, you know, lose hundreds of dollars worth of ticket value by getting ejected from the venue, he just pointed at him and said, you're a fucking pussy, bruv, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> I find the way that Osprey talks, and it's something that he's massively improved on, I just find it really authentic for a dickhead from Essex. He comes across like a dickhead from Essex, which is the character, inverted commas, that he's playing as opposed to, say, Zack Sabre Jr., who 
personally, I don't find him authentic. I find him to be a bit of a caricature who tries to get over sound bites and says things that British people wouldn't really say. Like, no one's walking around going, you know, all right, Olish Borics, or pack it in, Daniel. Pack it in is something your mum said 30 years ago. It's not something He's that British people... Island yeah, well, we can stay there. Um, <laughs> you know, it's... I Yeah, so I always have that disconnect with uh, Zach Sabre Jr. I feel like he has said some of these one-liners and they've maybe gone viral or got a bit of positive attention, so he... Is constantly trying to repeat that where it was with Osprey, the way he talks. He yeah, he could be any dickhead from Essex, and there are plenty of them. So yeah, I enjoyed his entrance and all of that, as he said, sports entertainment stuff, the throwbacks to HBK, obviously defacing the flag, um, was great. This match kind of brought me back to Wrestle Kingdom eleven, uh Omega Okada. That match was obviously famous for breaking the Meltzer star rating scale. And in a lot of ways, it broke my expectations of what wrestling could be because it was so much better than anything else I'd ever seen. And I feel like this match, I will put my hands up and say I didn't see Wrestle Kingdom this year, so I didn't see the first match between these two guys. But this match had the same impact on me. Like This was the Okada Omega 1 of, of this decade. For me, it was so good. Just some of the stuff they did was... Like, it's it's difficult to... I appreciate it's a podcast, so we have to try, but it's very difficult to even put into words some of the notes that they hit, some of them. It was just such a clever match on so many different levels. Obviously, you had the, the screwdriver into Stormbreaker, and some of the near falls in this were... Incre- like, normally, I think what was really interesting is that they played on the meta of wrestling fans. So we've all been watching wrestling for a long time, and we know what to expect. And I almost have, you know, an internal monologue when I'm watching matches. Like, okay, someone does a body slam, they pin someone. Okay, well, this this isn't going to be the end of the match. But obviously, the screwdriver, Osprey, hit all these moves. It looked like the end. And that near fall where Omega just got his foot on the rope, like, that completely did me. I thought that was the end of the match. They continued, as Josh alluded to, he hit the one-winged angel uh, and kicked out a one again, like, like my mind was blown. It was just incredible because what it did was it subverted all of the things you know about wrestling and it used all those years of you watching wrestling against you in some ways by challenging your expectations, which was what was I found really, really clever about when Osprey went for a sharpshooter, my internal monologue was saying, oh yeah, we're in Canada, classic Brett throwback. We couldn't do a Canadian show without a sharpshooter. Omega escapes from the sharpshooter and Osprey transitions to a crossface. Now, a crossface has been used by loads of wrestlers recently. Even Danielson uses a variation of a crossface as a finisher. When he does it, I never ever think, oh, that's ben- Chris Benoit's move. But watching this, I was like, Canada, Bret Hart, sharpshooter. He transitions to the crossface. I was like, oh, yeah, crossface. Hang on a sec. We're in Canada. That's Benoit's move. You piece of shit. You absolute piece of shit to to reference Chris Benoit, which is like with something which personally, like I, people who think that Benoit should be inducted into the Hall of Fame and stuff like that, I think they have a screw loose. I don't think he should ever be mentioned again. But the the way that he did it was just so clever because anyone else on the card doing a crossface in another situation would not have created that mental connection to Benoit. But the way that he played on the meta of the way that we think about wrestling, having watched it for a long time, was so clever that everyone in the crowd got it. But also, 
gives them the plausible deniability of saying, no, I was just doing a move like Danielson, or I was just doing a move like loads of other people have done. Also, Shaf, just on that, that um, a big thing of this was Osprey saying that people from Canada are dickheads. And it's like, he was saying Callis, dickhead, Christian, dickhead. And the biggest dick of them all was Benwell, right? And he's used his move to prove it. Yeah, but the, the fantastic thing about it is that that connection only exists in our minds. So yeah. he has plausible deniability to say, I wasn't referencing Benoit. I was just using a move that loads of people use, which makes him even more of a dickhead. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought it was it was genius. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't cheap heat. You know, he could have done some Benoit torn or something, which would have been a bad taste. But it was very clever and cerebral the way that they went about it. And just on the crowd, I would say that this crowd was as good of a crowd and as smart of a crowd as probably any show I've seen. I thought they reacted in all the right places. They got involved in all the right places. They even used chants that you typically wouldn't see in an American crowd. Um, I think Mr. Red Hat was one of the MVPs of Collision and um, <laughs> this pay-per-view. He obviously has gone viral, him smiling next to Julia Hart on Collision. And on this pay-per-view, he managed to start a, he's a, wank, a you're a wanker chant Will. <laughs> which was great. And then Osprey did something impressive. The crowd transitioned to still a wanker, which was <laughs> a very, like a very British style chant. I, I, yeah. I thought the crowd were excellent. They had massively to this card. Can't Fred really say a lot more about the match. moment since 2017, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah, this match was as good as anything I've seen for a long, long time. One of the best matches I've ever seen on possibly my favorite pay-per-view ever. Mate. I'm loving that. But please watch the first match too. It's fucking great. <laughs> Next up, we had ourselves a six-man tag team match featuring Darby Allen, Sting and Tetsuya Naito up against Monoru Suzuki and the Jericho Appreciation Society of Sami G and Chris Jericho. I had a shit during this match, so I didn't watch it. <laughs> but what did other people think let's start with jch i'd say watching it the next day um i watched suzuki's entrance enjoyed it <laughs> i did enjoyed naito coming out in a suit i didn't watch much of the match i'll be honest i didn't watch it back because i wanted to get to the next one and i think that was the point of it at the time to get some of these people on the card and give the crowd time to recover for the main event was that a similar view for you chef yeah, 100%. I mean, there were a couple of fun spots. Sammy obviously hit the 6.30 on Sting. A bit of a scary moment as well, where he tried to hit the cutter on Sting off the top rope and sort of landed on his head in a bit of an awkward fashion. But yeah, it was perfectly fine for what it was. Yeah, I mean, it was in the piss break spot, so I can appreciate you making the most of it. <laughs> <laughs> Josh? Yeah, I think Shafi mentioned earlier about the uh, pacing of the card. And I was wondering before the show what they were going to do in terms of surely you can't go immediately Osprey, Omega and then Danielson, Okada. That would just be overkill on a scale. But I think whatever match was in this spot was going to kind of not struggle, but well, I guess struggle would be the word. But yeah, I'm kind of at a point. I love Sting. I think he's great. I hope he gets a big match at Wembley. But at the same time, I have to like clench a little bit every time I watch him wrestle because I just hope he's okay. That 6.30 spot they mentioned was not fun to watch at all. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure if Sting was meant to fake that he was trying to move or he actually was trying to move. 
but yeah, it was what it was. Not really much to say on it, to be honest. Don't worry, mate. I was clenching too. <laughs> <laughs> I did watch him on the scrum though, and I was a little bit disappointed to hear him say that he never actually said it was official that he was having his retirement match at Wembley, because I was kind of hoping that was going to be a bit of a I was there moment, but I'm sure he'll still be featured on the card. And that leads us to the main event, which was not for a title, but a dream match that many of us have been dreaming of watching for many, many years. Two of the best technical wrestlers in the world. Brian Danielson against Kazuchika Okada. I only watched it once. It was 5am. I was pretty drunk. So I'm not the best person to ask about this match. So let's hear the thoughts of people who weren't. And let's start with Shafi for this one. Yeah, obviously highly anticipated this one. Uh, it was a much different pace and type of match than Osprey Omega. A bit slower, uh, a bit more hard hitting, but overall very good. I feel like they left a little bit in the tank. I'm sort of 99% sure that Danielson's going to be on Wrestle Kingdom now. Because I think that they can top... Whilst it was a very good match, I think that they can top it. Danielson also apparently wrestled the last 10 minutes with a fractured arm. So kudos to him for you know still pulling off a very convincing finish. I think there was a slight issue with the finish in a sense that I never thought that Danielson was going to win. And I never thought that Okada was going to tap. And I feel like the crowd felt the same way. So when that happened, it was almost a little bit flat because people didn't expect it to end there. But I guess that gives a reason for a rematch down the line. It's never necessarily a bad thing to be surprised by the result. And the fact they managed to do it with one arm is is incredible. Lovely stuff, man. Let's go to Josh on this one. Yeah, so uh, I tweeted it out the other day. It wasn't largely based upon this match, but I think this match kind of confirmed it for me. My coldest of cold takes is I think Brian Danielson is the greatest wrestler of all time. I think he can do pretty much any style, any type of match. I love this match. I agree with Shafi. I think they probably could do better. I like the the story they told on commentary with the finish in the sense that Okada, who hasn't tapped out since 2015, I read the other day, which I think is a phenomenal stat. It was a case of he taps out now or he risks serious injury. And obviously he's got the G1 coming up and all these matches down the line. So I like that element of it. Kind of got everything crossed now that Danielson's fractured arm recovers in time for a little show we've got in a couple of months. And also, I will no longer accept any criticism to Tony Khan because he paid, I am sure, an awful lot of money to get Final Countdown. And that alone deserves all the praise in the world from me. So yeah, nothing but positives to say about this and Okada and Brian Danielson, who I think is the greatest of all time. What if it means that he lowballs signing James Madison off you for 40 million? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ask me at the end of the transfer window. We can talk. (laughs) So JCH, let's finish with you as you uh, manage to get around to watching this one. Yeah, I don't think I finished it. I had to go to work. Oh, well, spoilers. You'll never guess who won. No, no, I remember what, no, because I actually woke up for the end of this one. And I did feel it was quite abrupt, but that was from sort of seeing half the start. And yeah, was, that was a struggle. I was sort of starting to wake up at that point. It was about 5 a.m. Yeah, so I wouldn't want to give like a really massive opinion on it. I enjoyed what I saw. As I say, like, no, I'm not the biggest Okada fan. I don't think he's bad ever. I just, I haven't got that. So what Shaf was talking about with his family and CM Punk, you get that connection. Who they captivate me, he doesn't captivate me. But I can tell he's very good at professional wrestling. And that's something that I used to think about Omega, which I think he's drawn me in to his matches recently. So hopefully there's still time for Okada. Danielson, massive fan, hero, great guy, great wrestler. Yeah, he won. Brilliant. Happy days. 
Yeah, I think that um, my <laughs> takeaway from having only watched the match once was a bit of watching it live, at least. I was a bit like, I kind of wish that this had a story. It was just one of those Dream Factory matches or possibly the ultimate Dream Factory match. But if pro wrestling has taught us anything, it's stories that make wrestling. And now they've got a ready-made story, haven't they? If they do have a match at Wrestle Kingdom, there's a storyline there. You broke my arm. You made me tap out for the first time in eight years. The match is going to be ultimately better because of that, I think. Surely the stories that Danielson says, there's no point in me wrestling, I'll beat you one arm. I made you tap out of one arm. No one else could do that. You don't deserve <laughs> me again. And him getting him to agree to the match is the story. That's true. Yeah. I could do the Vince McMahon thing where he has to fight him with one arm tied behind his back. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Forbidden Door. And I'm going to make a director's audible here by saying that we're going to end the podcast here in that I don't want Money in the Bank to be rushed through. And I think that we can give Money in the Bank a similar service next week once we've seen it and we can talk about our experience of it live. So we'll skip the preview for this podcast, but we will quickly go into a plug. Our favourite swan, Cara Noir, has put out a post this afternoon saying about the sports medical science that he needs to pay for his potentially career-threatening injury that he got in that cage match. He's looking to raise £7,000. He's got a fundraiser on his Twitter that you can go to or his Instagram, Cara Noir. Someone that we've obviously really enjoyed over the past two years in terms of his storytelling and his in-ring action. Unfortunately, can't get paid at the moment because he's injured. So if you've got any money going spare and you want to help out a uh, swan that's only got one leg, (laughs) please go to the link and help a man out because he has been fantastic for the British wrestling scene past two years. Is there anything that people want to plug? Shaft, did you want to plug anything? Not so much a plug, but um, the new AEW video game's out tomorrow, Fight Forever. So very much looking forward to that. It looks like great fun. Harking back to the N64 days of the likes of No Mercy and WCW versus NWO World Tour. So yeah, excited to get hold of that and hopefully give that a play over the next couple of days. What a brilliant week for wrestling fans. Obviously, Forbidden Door, new AW video game to hopefully rival 2K. A bit more of an arcade style compared to the simulation of the WWE games. And then, of course, we got Money in the Bank on Saturday in London, which will be a fantastic crowd too. I hope you guys will have a brilliant time there. Oh, cheers, man. JCH, anything? Yeah, coming soon. Watch this space on the Patreon. Cricket should be fun. Me, Brum and Dom. <laughs> we'll, talk about, we'll talk a lot about wrestling, but with cricket theme show. So it's been the opposite of this. <laughs> Keep your eyes peeled, people. And last but not least, Josh. Yeah, I'd usually use this time to talk about my blog, but I just want to repeat what Ross said about Aaron Noir's GoFundMe. This is a guy is like we've all said, has done great work for Progress and we've all loved his stuff over the last few years. But for people who don't follow Progress, this is a guy who I watched wrestle one of the biggest matches in the company's recent history, a long-term storyline, probably the biggest match of Spike Gervais' career, one of the biggest match of Cara's career, in a cage in the electric ballroom and did half of it with pretty much one ankle working. So I think that alone deserves... If you can't dedicate your money, then just a retweet, a like, whatever. Just, yeah, let's get Cairo surgery. And coming to the network in the summertime, tennis should be fun when uh, Wimbledon is on. So I'll be doing that if you want. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic stuff. So this has been the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast, episode 97. There was no screw job apart from if you're a fan of Money in the Bank previews. (laughs) (laughs) And Callum Newman points. No comment. No comment. My lawyers will be in touch. <laughs> Drink lots of water and look after your mates. See you, pals. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun.
Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. 